The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, before I, before I pray, I just want to thank uh, Daniel Sukup and Caleb Figures uh, for, for preaching the word and being faithful. So it's good to be gone and tune in and know that God's word is going forth. I want to thank uh, Josiah for leading worship as well. He knocked it out of the park. I was joking with Nick and said after that first Sunday, I kind of wondered if I'd come back to work and Daniel and Josiah would be there and be like, guys, we're going to take it from here. It's going to be okay. Um, but I'm glad to be back and to be here preaching and to still have a job here as a pastor. <laughs> and so let me uh, give thanks to God for his word and for this time we have together and we'll dive in. So Lord, we do, we do love your word. What, what a gift that you have so generously over-communicated with us. You've given us so much to see who you are and to see what you've done and to, and to show us how we fit into your story for the sake of your glory. And oh God, how this morning, how we want to see it again. How we again want to come to your word by your spirit and have you change us. <laughs> Have you change our hearts and shape our hearts and love you more and want to love others more? Oh, Lord, how we want you to do that this morning. And we would just admit that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we're asking you to come again for the good of your people and the glory of your name and do a work among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is Palm Sunday, and it's historically the day that we as believers remember that our king humbled himself. It would be worth thinking about today and the rest of the week that our king humbled himself in such a way that he entered Jerusalem not on a war horse, not puffed up to conquer and rescue from Rome. He could have done that. He had all the power, but he came instead on a lowly foal of a donkey, humble to be crucified and rescued from sin. What an amazing Savior we have, a God like no other God. In the last two weeks, I'm really thankful to Daniel and Caleb for showing us that Jesus had to come and lay his life down in that way because sin is deadly serious. Sin is deadly serious. God must punish it because God is completely holy. And yet that God will make a way to save his people who trust his promises. God is always working in unexpected ways and in unexpected places for his people and for his name. And so last week at the end of the sermon, we left Noah and his family safely shut in the ark by God and the waters raging around them for 150 days while all of life on the rest of the earth was wiped out. And Caleb appropriately called us to feel the weight of God's wrath, to feel the weight of what was going on in this moment. I mean, can you imagine the time spent shut in in that ark wondering when it would end, what was next, thinking about what was going on outside of the ark and just wondering what is it going to be like when we walk out of this thing? 
Just put yourself in that place. What's it going to be like? Right? This is the original apocalyptic movie where they come out from the shelter and everything is different. Right? You've seen those movies. They, they come out and they're just walking around. What is this place? Where are we? What has happened? And this is the original apocalyptic movie right here where they're, they're, they have no idea. But right away, in chapter 8, verse 1, we hear this phrase. And what a gracious phrase it is. But God remembered Noah. He remembered him. Didn't forget him in the midst of the flood. Didn't forget him and his family in the ark. God remembered Noah. That's how Moses, that's right, that's how Moses starts this account right after leaving this family safe in the ark. Moses wants us to see right away, God remembered them. He remembered them. And not only did he remember them, but right away he began to work for them. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So today what we want to see in these chapters is God's goodness as God keeps his promises. God made a promise to Noah to preserve his family. And here we see that God remembers his promises to his people. And in fact, God remembers his people. God always remembers his people. What we will see today is that if you trust in Jesus, God will keep his promises to you and he will remember you. He will not forget you. He remembers you in the current joys of your life. It's okay to have joys in your life as a Christian. It's okay to celebrate the good things in your life. And God remembers you in those places. And right now, God remembers you in the deepest sorrows and sufferings of your life. He knows you and he loves you and he's with you. He remembers you right now and he is working for your good. There is no longer any wrath for those in Christ, but only grace and only goodness. And so if you're here today and you feel forgotten in this lonely world we live in, you feel undone by some circumstances in your life, if you trust in Jesus, you can know that you are seen and known and loved by the God of the universe. The God with all this power is now working for you. So we're going to dive in and see how the story in Genesis 8 to 9 makes our salvation, even our, even our breathing today, possible and points to the one who knows you, loves you, and saves you fully and freely and forever from your sin. So let's look. Just two points today, but don't think we're getting out early. They're both long. So God's... I've been away for two weeks. Y'all are just in for it, right? So God's good promise-keeping first in his preservation of his people. So we're going to look at these two themes. God is good in his promise keeping and how he preserves his people and how he provides for his people. So we'll look at preservation first. So if we were to read verses 1 to 19, and I'm not going to read every verse, but we would see that God keeps his promise to keep Noah and his family and all of these animals safe. Right In verse 1, we see that the wind begins to blow. In verse 2, we see that the rain is restrained by God. We ought to think of life that way. Who's making the wind blow? God. Who's restraining the rain? God is restraining the rain. And so as that happens, the waters slowly recede. Verses 3 to 11. And the land eventually dries out enough for them to exit the ark. 
And we've all done the flannel boards, right, in Sunday school class, where we see Noah test this out by sending various birds out to fly. One comes back with an olive branch, another doesn't come back. And Noah goes, it must be okay to leave the ark. He must have found a place. So kids, I want you to think about this. It's hard to imagine, hard for me to imagine what this was like. But the closest thing I could think of is when I was a little kid, I remember going to sleep sometimes with the sound of these huge thunderstorms. Right? Sometimes it'd be, right, tornado warnings, and I was afraid and didn't know what was going to happen. But these big thunderstorms would come as you're falling asleep, and you'd wake up the next day, and it was sunny, and it was calm, and it felt like I made it through it, right? As a little kid, like, I made it. I made it through this big storm. Your house and your parents kept you safe from all the power of the storm. Well, this would have been like that, only way, way, way bigger storm, way, way longer, 150 of those in a row. And last week, my family was, was by the ocean, and we saw some really powerful waves, Waves that were dangerous for people. Waves that made the the lifeguard blow their whistle over and over again, telling people, you better come back in or you're going to be in trouble. And then one night we saw some powerful storm clouds above the waves one night. The waves were so big and the storm was so dark and powerful, you couldn't tell where the waters ended and the sky began. You, You couldn't tell. You just looked out and you just saw power and dark and light blues kind of all over the place. And Kelly called me out to the balcony and said, this had to be what it looked like or felt like during the flood. <laughs> a little bit, just, just the, the sheer power of the whole thing, looking out on this water. The power and the vastness was stunning. And we need to remember, that's what God's wrath towards sin was like in the flood. Is that big? Is that powerful? That stunning, that foreboding coming near the shore? But God kept his promise to preserve his people through that. We would sometimes look out and see these, these really lonely looking ships, like so far out you could barely see them. And as I was thinking about coming back and preaching this, I just think, man, like what would it have been like to be on a ship in the middle of a worldwide flood with this kind of power all by yourself for 150 days? And God preserved his people. But I also want to look at before and after the actual time in the ark on the water. First, let's look at before. We know from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that God is the one that grants faith to his people. God grants faith to his people as a gift. And Hebrews eleven seven says this about Noah as it describes this situation. By faith... Noah being warned by God and concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Who gave Noah the faith to trust God? God did. Who gave Noah the faith to show the world was foolish in its sin And ignoring of God. God did. Who gave Noah faith to trust God and be righteous by faith? 
God did, right? These are gifts from God. So God was working to grant faith to Noah so that Noah could walk with God and obey before God was faithful to preserve Noah and his family in the ark. We could say that the greater miracle here is that God granted faith to a heart. God took out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh, even in Noah, by faith, accounting him righteousness. The greater miracle is a new heart that could see and trust and obey God more even than the miracle of sustaining him in the waters of the flood. So God is working to do this. God was working to preserve his people, to preserve his image bearers who would spread his glory, preserve his mission to spread his glory to the ends of the earth by working in the heart of Noah and granting him saving faith that could hear and obey. God is working before, God is working during, and God is working after this flood to preserve his people. We, what we find in chapters 8 to 9 is something called the Noahic Covenant. Another way to say it is the promise God makes to all mankind with Noah as the representative of mankind. And so what does God promise to Noah after he preserves them through this flood? Bruce already read it. We'll read it again in chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord... And took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, they shall not cease. So here we see a sacrifice made to the Lord who has preserved them. And God, take this in for a second, God enjoying the worship of his people. Our God enjoying the worship of his people in his place promises in his own heart, which is a good enough promise for me, never again to strike down every living being and promises I'm going to keep all the seasons, all the days, all the nights going as long as this earth exists. The sun rose today because of this promise. That's why the sun rose today, because God kept his promise to Noah, this Noahic covenant. The, the seed time, the harvest, the seasons that go, the world that exists today, it exists because God has kept his promise. So sometimes you read through the Old Testament and think, where am I in this story? Here you are, <laughs> alive and breathing, the sun coming up, the world existing for you to live in. Because of this promise in Genesis 8 and 9. We see this promise repeated again and then unpacked for Noah and his sons. In in chapter 9, verses 9 to 17 that Bruce also read. When God says he has made his covenant with them. Not to destroy all flesh or destroy the earth. And gives them the sign of the bow in the clouds. A picture that God is putting away his weapons of ultimate judgment for now. And is giving men and women on all the earth a chance to repent. And we see it in the, we see it in the sky. We go, he's putting them away for now. And giving all men and women everywhere a chance to repent. Kids, when you see a rainbow in the sky. Here's what you should remember, kids. When you see a rainbow in the sky. God is real. God takes, amen. God takes sin very seriously. God will punish those who ignore him. And he is giving you an opportunity to turn to him and trust him to forgive your sins. 
So when you see the rainbow and the clouds, remember this God. Remember these things about him. Adults, remember this God. Remember these things about him. If you're looking around in the world today and thinking how evil the world is and wondering, why doesn't God do something? Is God working? The answer is yes. God is always working in the midst of the evil that's going on. Look and see the rainbow and remember his wrath and yet his mercy right now. Humankind has breath and the earth keeps turning without a worldwide judgment because our God is merciful in keeping this promise. What I want you to realize, this covenant is the foundation for every other covenant, right? This covenant keeps the world spinning and the sun coming up and the seasons going and life happening that people might turn and repent, Our world and our nation has the opportunity to wake up day by day and turn to God because God is keeping this promise made to Noah so long ago. Isn't our God amazing? How long, how clearly, how consistently he keeps his promises. So God preserves his people in the flood by keeping them safe on the ark and bringing them out. God preserved his people before that by creating faith In the heart of Noah. And God preserves all mankind today by keeping his promise to never again destroy the world because of sin. Point number two. His provision for his people. As God preserves his people. Keeps them safe. Keeps them alive. He also grants provision to his people. This means, what I mean by provision is he gives them what they need. He gives them what they Need. And he gives them what they need to, to live physically and to live spiritually in this chapter. So let's start with physically. We could restate the obvious provision of the ark. It's a provision to get them through the waters, safe landing of the ark, on a place where they'd be able to walk out of it and start life again. Right? You can imagine that that would have taken some precision by God, some provision by God to not have the ark at the very end crash. The waters are receding. How easy it would have been for it to go somewhere and just crash into a mountain, crash into a peak. But God has it land so that they can walk out from the ark. In the beginning of chapter 9, God provides all the animals for food for them to eat, along with all the plants to eat. Later on, we see Noah become a man of the field and plant a vineyard. We'll get to more of that later. But there's further provision Man is able to work the ground again and provide food. So God, after all the time in the ark, after destroying every other thing, provides them with physical provision. He also provides them with provision and safety. So in verses 5 to 6, we have this, this, uh, this unpacking of the worth of man. The worth of the image of God like we've already seen. But listen to what it says. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is once again showing the worth of human beings made in the image of God. But also I think is a built in provision, protection for them. So what do I mean by that? 
Well, this decree by God, I think, is meant to make angry outbursts from folks like Cain and shameless outbursts from folks like Lamech less frequent because of the threat of their own life being required. God is providing a just decree to preserve the value of human life. And there's all sorts of moral and ethical questions around that. And maybe Rick Shank will do a seminar called Dinosaurs and the Death Penalty. And you can all go to that at some later point. It's not the main point, but maybe he'll do that for us later. So he, provi- he provi- prov- provides for them physically. He's going to preserve their life with this decree. He's going to give them food. He's going to make sure they have everything they need to thrive in this new place. And then he provides for them spiritually. What do I mean by that? Well, here should be the question on your mind. Right? Garden, sin, flood, how will men once again dwell with God in his place after he's brought the flood? How's it going to work? Didn't go so well the first time. And we see it, the answer is through sacrifice. That's how it's going to work. God's going to make a bridge for man. God provided, I think Caleb mentioned this last week too, God provided these clean animals so that they could be sacrificed. And God makes a covenant with them at the time of this sacrifice. Again, remember as we walk through Genesis that this whole story is about the God who keeps his promise to make a way for his people to be in his place and enjoy his presence. That's the God you serve. That's the God who's pursuing you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life. He's he's creating a way for his people to dwell in his presence and enjoy him forever. God is doing that again here through sacrifice. So let me just ask one question that I should have asked already, but now I'm going to ask at this point to sum it all up. Why? Why? Why does God preserve his people? Why does God provide for his people? So I think I see an answer here in God's words to Noah and his sons. So look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says to Noah and his sons, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Move your eyes down to verse 7. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. What is God working to preserve and provide for? His image. Right? His, his image. He has the same purpose in mind that he's, he's had in mind. That his people, made in his image, would multiply and spread his reign and his presence and his glory to the ends of the earth. God is working for the good of his people and the glory of his name. God has created a universe in such a way that those things work together. I will create you in my image. You'll be a a representation of me. You can walk with me and fellowship with me and enjoy me and love me with all your heart. And what I ask is that as you go, you let other people in on the secret. How good I am. Who I am. That I'm the, the creator. The one your heart longs for. That's why God does this. That's why God provides for his people. That's why God preserves his people for their good and the glory of his name and his desire that his glory, his presence, his reign, his goodness would be seen to the ends of the earth. That's why God does everything he does and that's why he does this. Again, God is reminding them 
Walk in fellowship with me. Spread my fame. Spread my worship to the ends of the earth. And so he preserves them and provides for them for his glory. He wants the whole earth, the whole earth to be his place where all his people enjoy his presence. And there's a day coming when that will become reality. God calls them to this task. And I would say to you, this is why we exist today. Right? It's our mission statement. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. What does that mean except we're made in his image? We're redeemed by his grace. Right? We, we've received his presence. We love him with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, and strength. We, we know him. Do you know him? Do you know this God? Has he provided for you? Has he preserved you? Has he cared for you? Has he redeemed you? If you wonder, how do I do that? Man, you love him with all your heart right where you are, and you love the people around you right where you are, and you say, come on in. Come on into this grace. Come on into this love. Come on into this provision. This is what you were made for. This is what you were made for in a world that is wicked, in a world that is full of the same wickedness we see in this time. You could look around with hopelessness and say, what am I supposed to do? And God doesn't call you to some massive excursion. God calls you to love him and love those around you and make him known as great. That's what he calls you to do. In your family, when you wake up in the morning, as you change the diaper in the middle of the night, as you shovel the driveway for your neighbor, as you start a Bible study at your work, as you spend a little extra time talking to that barista, as you make a meal for those who are sick or hurting, as you share the gospel, as God brings those opportunities, we just love him and we help others love him and we make his greatness known. This is what we're made for. God sees you. And knows you and remembers you. Right? We want to do this. We want to live this way. We want to live this way in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, in such a way that we love those around us with the very love that we've been loved with, that we spread the glory of our crucified King. We don't spread this full of outrage to conquer the current culture. We spread this full of humility to point people to the one who can conquer their sins once for all. God sees you and knows you and remembers you because you are a part of his family, a part of his story, and he will preserve you and provide for you for the sake of your good and his glory. So what God has always been doing and will keep doing. So finally, this application, what God does for us, he does for us ultimately in Jesus. So remember a few pictures with me that we've seen in these last three chapters. Number one, the ark that carries them through the waters of judgment really happened in a picture of something greater coming. The sacrifice that brings us into relationship, a covenant with God, really happened pointing to something greater that's coming. The food and the wine that bring us sustenance really happened pointing to something greater. Before we do that, before we look at those pictures and what they're pointing to, I want to take one look at another picture at the end of chapter 9 that if you read ahead like I've been asking you to, you probably said, Weird story. So let's look at it and see the beauty of what the author's trying to show us there. So there's a strange story at the end of chapter 9 where we get one more picture, I think, of this thing that really happened but is pointing to something greater. So Noah plants a vineyard. You might even call it a garden. 
right? Let that begin to whet your appetite for what's coming. And Noah sins with fruit, right? He drinks too much of the fruit of the vine, and he ends up uncovered in his tent. To see him this way and to mock him would have been extremely dishonoring and disrespectful in that time. And yet what we see is one of his sons goes in and sees him and mocks him to the others. The other two sons, they want to honor their dad, so they walk in backwards so as not to see him, and they cover him up, and they leave. And the chapter ends with the two sons blessed who covered him up, and the one son cursed who saw him and mocked him and went out and pointed to everyone that, hey, uh, dad's in there naked. So the promise and the blessing, hear this, the promise and the blessing comes through those who cover the shame. And the curse comes through those who point out and mock the nakedness and point out the shame. Does this remind you of anything yet? Does this remind you of another garden that we've seen? Do you remember another garden with fruit involved? Do you remember another time where someone pointed out the nakedness of another and the fruit was used to sin? Do you remember another time where folks were then full of shame? And do you remember in our story another time where there was one who came and covered those naked people in their shame? Through what? Through sacrifice. So this story really happened, and we are supposed to see it connected so that the covering comes through the line of promise and the cursing comes through this line of shame. This is pointing to the same thing the ark is pointing to. The sacrifice is pointing to. The food and the wine are pointing to. Here's what it's pointing to. There is one coming, like in the garden, who will preserve us and be our refuge through the waters of judgment. There's one coming. There's one coming who will be a sacrifice for our sins and pay the price that we could never pay. There is one coming who will be true food, the bread of life, true drink, living water, and fill our empty souls. There is one coming who will completely cover our shame and bring about his promises to us, even eternal life in an eternal garden city where judgment and sin and guilt and emptiness and shame will be no more. And instead, freedom and purity and fullness and joy will remain forevermore. It's all leading to this. The story points to that reality. The covenant with Noah grants the world life that it might turn and see Jesus. That's what the covenant of Noah is about. I'm going to let you keep living despite your sin that you might turn and see Jesus. That you might have this faith that I've granted Noah who clearly is not perfect. Who clearly is a fallen sinner. The line of promise leads to Jesus who lived a perfect life we couldn't live, died a death to forgive our sins, gives us righteousness to cover our shame, and brings us through the waters of judgment and fills us with abundant life now and forever. And I think Moses wants us to see that through the hand of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just say a word to a couple groups of people. If you're here, and you've never trusted in Jesus, if you're watching and you've never trusted in Jesus, the waters of judgment are still coming for you. 
like the power of the ocean I mentioned before. Right, so I hope today that you, you're hearing this sermon, this word of God, as a merciful whistleblow of the lifeguard to say, come back in. Come on in where there's, there's sure, steady footing. Come back in where there's life. Come back into the, the family and find life. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, I know that you're looking for satisfaction in all sorts of places. You're looking for hope. You're looking for joy. You're looking for all these things. And my promise to you, it's a sad promise, is that if you don't come to Jesus, it will be only temporary and ultimately your soul will remain empty. You won't find what you're looking for. Your sins must still be punished. This life will end and there will only be sadness and just punishment. But if you would trust him, if you would trust Jesus, the one all this is pointing to, the God-man who emptied himself by taking on flesh and came into our mess, the God-man who came and humbled himself on a donkey first, and then soon after humbled himself on a criminal's cross, that one will save you from your sins and bring you into his life forever if you'll just trust him. If you'll just say, yeah, I, I want in, I trust you. Forgive my sins. Give me your abundant life. He will be your refuge now and forever. He will remember you now and he'll remember you forever. And if you're already trusting him, I pray today would be an occasion to rejoice in his goodness to you all the days of your life. He's been good, hasn't he? He's been faithful, hasn't he? I want you to think about this covenant. This covenant is what's made it possible for us to gather here today. His pursuing us with goodness and mercy is why you're sitting in the seat you are today trusting in him. You woke up a Christian today because he's been faithful to you. Despite hard circumstances, despite brokenness in your life, he's forgiven you. He's walked with you like a good shepherd. Because of him, you don't have any other needs because he's always with you. He's your shepherd you shall not want. Today, would it be a day to rejoice that he's brought you through the judgment waters? Once for all, he's brought you through. Rejoice that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Do you feel alone? There is one that will never leave you or forsake you, named Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the goodness of his promise that all find their yes and amen in Jesus. Rejoice that he'll always preserve you. He'll always provide for you. Rejoice in his goodness to you again. And once again, walk forward on your mission to spread his glory and his praise as those made in his image. He has been faithful to us. He's been so faithful to us. He's kept his promises. He's been good to us. So if you haven't trusted him yet, I want you to trust him now. I'm just going to say, I really want you to trust him now. Whether you're 5 or 95, and you can hear my voice, I want you to trust this Jesus and come through the waters of judgment and have your soul filled and satisfied now and forever. And if you've already trusted him, trust him again, afresh today. Remember his amazing love in every circumstance you're in, knowing that he remembers you and is for you and will be faithful to keep his promises and do good to you. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.